All right, so you didn't come for the History Channel, but uh, the reason I love that video is it, it just reminds me that when we celebrate Easter from whatever direction we come, whether it's a cultural direction, a secular direction, a, a religious direction, Easter in every frame of mind work surrounds, really has one word connected to it. When we talk about Easter, what are we talking about? Not a bunny, not candy. What do we talk? It all surrounds one word. Easter is about life. See, really, Easter is about life. Now, we think about that from a spiritual, biblical perspective. We understand that that is the life of Jesus, the Son of God who came, took upon human flesh, lived a perfect life, but then gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, was buried but raised on the third day. Easter is about celebrating life. The egg that maybe you hid this morning is simply a reflection of new life. And nothing says the multiplication of new life like, like the bunny. <laughs> so from whatever direction you come, what are we talking about when we talk about Easter? We're talking about life. Now, again, we're not here because of the bunny. We're not here because of the egg. We're here because of the resurrected Jesus who, when he was a man, God wrapped in human flesh, he actually answered for us. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. Life's big questions. We're going to listen into a conversation that Jesus has regarding life's big questions like where can I find meaningful life and what's my life actually worth and what happens to me when my life ends because Easter is about what's the word life Easter is about life and life has with it some really big questions and Jesus speaks to him so if you have a Bible with you I want to invite you to turn to the gospel of Mark Recording the life of Jesus, Mark chapter 8. If you were with us last Easter, we actually started the Gospel of Mark. And so for the year, we've been through eight chapters now. And in this occasion, it says in Mark 8:34, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, Now pause before we look at what he says. Look up here if you would. This actually is a great passage because it reflects who we are this morning. See, he is in this passage talking to his disciples, those who were devoted followers of Jesus and a crowd. People who weren't necessarily yet devoted followers of Jesus, but were interested enough to show up to listen. And that's really what we have gathered here in South and North this morning. We have some of you who are very devoted followers of Jesus and others of you are interested enough to show up this morning to listen. So Jesus speaks to the crowd, to the devoted follower when he says these words, answering the questions of life. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, what will happen? He'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, what will happen? We'll save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and forfeit his soul. For what will man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. So Jesus speaks very directly about the big questions of life. Did you catch the answer to the first, where can I find meaningful life? His answer sometimes escapes us because it's not what we expect. So, how many ask you a question? How many of you grew up, by a show of your hands, how many of you grew up doing an Easter egg hunt? All right, so the vast majority of you grew up doing an Easter egg hunt. We had a huge one here yesterday, by the way, like huge. 750 plus kids went through our egg glow hunt yesterday. And so for all of you who brought candy, whoo, we gave out a lot of candy. We actually could have even used probably more, but thank you so much. That's a lot of candy for 750 kids. We had had an egg hunt in our neighborhood as well yesterday, only 15 homes. We had 500 eggs for nine kids. That was a little overkill. They were like, there's more. I'm just exhausted. Well, so we didn't have that yesterday, but thanks so much for sharing and for all who came and helped. There weren't that many of us when we did Easter egg hunts growing up. There were exactly... 15 of us, cousins at grandma's house. Any of you do yours at grandma's house? All right, some of you did. Ours was always, never fail, grandma's house. The routine, very set, go to church. We all went to different churches, but then we went to grandma's house for lunch. After lunch, go out into the yard as cousins, 15 of us, throw frisbee, throw baseball, play, run around, burn off a little lunch. And then they'd all say, come on inside and put us in a back room, no windows, and what would they do? The adults would go out and hide the eggs. And when they were finished, all right, you know, come on. And then they'd line us up. Did they line you up? Line us up, youngest to oldest, for the very simple reason that competition is pretty strong in my family. And so there was at least some recognition that the little ones, and I was number two of the 15. So I was the little one. There was a recognition that if Dougie didn't get to go first, Dougie was probably not going to get very many eggs. So Wendy was a little bit younger than me. She got to go first. I was always second in line, throw up in the door, and we would hit around to the left of the house where we knew that we'd be hit. And there was always then in the yard... This sort of stuff. And there was always a decision. Because when you come around and you see that in the art, are there eggs underneath the hat? Is there an egg in the glove? Is there an egg by the frisbee? Is there? See, you now feel my dilemma. Four years old. Is there an egg in the glove? Sometimes. But little Dougie knew that if I ran to the glove and there wasn't one there and I ran to the hat and there wasn't one there, guess what? 
the older ones were out and I was losing. (laughs) Now, what do you call that? Cruel. That's what I call that. That's cruel. I mean, what, what adults go, hey, let's put a hat out, and then they'll think there's going to be an egg under it. But hey, no egg under it. Ha, 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 ha. And I've grown into that adult. But Jesus is not cruel. One of the things I love about this passage is this. He says, when you come out of the door, and you round the corner, gone after life, I'm actually going to tell you where it's not. I'm not going to fake you out. You see, because if you run to the hat, if you run after wealth, thinking, oh, wealth is where I'm going to find life, I'm just telling you, it's not there. If you run to the glove of fame, it's not there. Oh, the glove's there. Life's just not in it. See, Jesus isn't cruel. I love the fact that when we talk about Easter, we're talking about the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus is a life that tells you where life is found and where it's not. If you seek to save your life, if you try and find your life in wealth, if you try and find your life in relationships, if you try and find your life in the accumulation of stuff, if you try and find your life in what you can build and what you can make or your career, guess what? He says, you're going to come up empty. It looks like it'd be a great place to find life. See, that's what's so tempting. Uh, when a little kid came up after, I don't think there'd be an egg underneath the Frisbee. I wouldn't look there. A little smart little kid told me that after the last hour. I said, well, go home and put an egg under a Frisbee. I bet you'll find it does fit there. See, it looks like it's going to be there. Everything in us says, if I save my life, if I find it. And Jesus is not cruel. Jesus does us a huge favor. He says, don't waste your life running after stuff that's going to turn up empty. So, where are you going to find meaningful life? What did he say? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. What is a cross? An instrument of execution's death. And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, that's where you're going to find it. You see, what is so unusual is this, that life, meaningful life, is found in the strange place of, of what? Death. Life actually is found in the last place you would think to look, and that is death. 
Now, if you're going, well, I'm not following you. Uh, let me state the obvious for you. When we are celebrating this morning, we said in one word, Easter was celebrating what? Life. But specifically, as Christ followers, we are celebrating what type of life this morning? Resurrected life. So can I state the obvious? For there to be resurrected life, what do you have to have? Huh. You got to have death. The very thing we're celebrating this morning requires death. See, it's right in front of us. It's right in front of us, but so often we run after the other things that we think we'll find life in because we'll never think that you'd find life in death. But there is no life apart from death. Jesus said himself this about himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, you know what a ransom is? It's funny, we use words and then you go, ah, it's hard to, how do I define, what is ransom? Very simple. A ransom is a payment in order to release a prisoner. Did you follow that? That's a ransom, three key parts. It's a payment to release a prisoner. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom, a payment for the release of many. You ever been a prisoner? This is when actually, if we're thinking biblically and actually, all of us put our hands up and go, yeah, I've been a prisoner. All of us have been a prisoner. To what? To sin and death for the wages of sin is death. What I've earned by my selfishness, what I've earned by my thoughts, what I've earned by my actions, what I've learned by my lying, by my stealing, by my cheating, what I've earned for that is what? Death. I am a prisoner to the penalty of my sin. And so are you. But the scripture says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. See, life. Eternal life. How? In Jesus Christ our Lord. There is eternal life in Jesus. What did he say? If you go and try and find life in other things, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Why? Because life is in him. And life is in him because prisoners who were tied and enslaved to sin can have this happen. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. It's a great word, reconciled to God through the death of his son. So that you and I, watch, you and I were born, created to have a relationship like this, one with God, where God himself would be one with us, over us, in loving intimacy with him. But because of our selfishness, because of our lying, because of our stealing, because of our evil nature, that sin has separated us from God. And Jesus said, I came to be a ransom, to pay, am 
Remember the three parts? To pay the release of the prisoner. So Jesus took my sin, your sin, and the penalty for it upon himself through his death on the cross so that you and I might go from here back to here. Life. Where? In Jesus. Not in wealth, not in the accumulation of stuff, not in any other relationships, not in a career, all that stuff that sparkles but is not gold. Jesus is very kind. He says, don't run after that. Don't waste your life. Don't lose your life thinking you'll find it. Actually, lose yourself for me and you'll find life in me, eternal life. And so the ransom of Jesus, the reconciliation, the bringing back together with God through Jesus tells us that eternal life is found in the once for all death of Jesus. Now, I could have simply said eternal life is found in the death of Jesus, but I want us to catch the the power of the death of Jesus, that it was a once for all death. Christ died once, don't miss this, Christ died once so that I could live eternally. You see the contrast? One death for eternal life, a life that never ends. That's the death of Christ. He is the one who has paid our penalty. He is the one who has set us free. And so this morning, I simply want us to acknowledge we celebrate a resurrected life because of a death. And that death was a once for all death so that you and I could have not just life now, but life eternal. But there's more. There's more. Romans 5.10, I read this first part. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now watch this. Much more, having been, here, watch, having been reconciled, we shall be saved, how? By his life. Now, don't miss this. What type of life? What are we celebrating? By his resurrected life. See, we are saved, we are reconciled by his death, but then we are saved by his life because there is a difference between eternal life in Jesus and abundant life in Jesus. See, Jesus said, I came that they may have, here it is, life and have it abundantly. Do you know the difference between eternal life and abundant life? I mean, there, there, there's a big difference. You and I, when we think about eternal life, we enter into eternal life only in its fullest after we, we die. But how do you enter into Abundant life. 
do you live abundant life? Okay, okay think about it. This past week, would, have any, would have any of you said when somebody says, so how's the life? Man, abundant. <laughs> yeah, a little cheesy. Or maybe not cheesy, maybe just, ah, that'd be great, but I'm not sure I could say abundant life. Why is that? Well, there's a big difference, folks, don't miss this, because there was for me personally, and this may be true for you as well, there was a big difference between when I trusted in Jesus and his death for eternal life, and I began to learn to live in abundant life. I had eternal life before I began to experience abundant life, and I think that's true for lots of us. If eternal life is found in the death of Jesus, what is abundant life found in? Can I go back? Having moved right, we shall be. What's abundant life found in? His resurrected life. So, when Paul, the apostle, writes about his own story, he says this, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, what he is referring to, I want to make a clear distinction here. What he's referring to is this, not that he was there that day where Jesus was crucified. Paul was not one of the two guys on Jesus' left or right. Paul is thinking years later, decades later, Where he's saying, no, no, I was crucified with Christ. Not literally there, but when I trusted that Jesus' death was the ransom for my sin, then his death became sufficient payment that I owed. So I was like crucified with him. So I can say, even In 1974, I was crucified with Christ. Long, 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 long time later, but when I trusted in Jesus, in his death, his ransom to reconcile me to God, I can say, like Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I can say, it's no longer I who live. Why? Because I was crucified. But, watch, Christ lives in me and the life I now live. I live even though I am dead. How do I now live? I now live by, what's the word? Faith. Watch. I was created by God to live like this. Sin separated me. The death of Jesus reconciled me. It was the ransom. It paid the release of the prisoner for eternal life. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He raised from the dead so that I might not only have eternal life in his death, I might have abundant life in his resurrected life. What does it mean to put resurrected to put faith in the resurrected life of Jesus. It means this. 
When I put faith in the resurrected life of Jesus, I recognize that I now belong to him and what he says determines how I live. So I, I want to go this way. But what's he say? No, the scripture says go this way. Faith, in spite of wanting to go this way, goes this way. Have you ever been there? I want to go this way. I, want to, I really would like it. No, but the scripture says do this. You know what that's called? Dying. I want to go out, let me put it in human terms. I want to go out fishing at the end of the dock. And my wife, I go, you want to go fishing? What's she say? No. Oh, no, you want you to come with me? If she comes with me, you know what she's doing? Dying. She is. She's like, ah, oh, really? How long am I going to stay out there? In other words, how long am I going to have to be dead? How long am I going to have to die? If she says to me, oh, let's take a walk down Fruit Cove Road. If you ever see me walking down Fruit Cove Road, you know what I'm doing? Dying. <laughs> Roads were made for driving. I don't know why we go for a walk. It's been this great invention called a car. Why are we going for a walk? But she loves to go for a walk. Oh, let's walk. And, uh... But in reality... When I die and go for a walk and she dies and goes fishing, our marriage lives. And marriages that don't live, don't live because people don't die. Can you, can you see that in this level? You know where abundant life is? You know how abundant life is found? <laughs> when I die to myself. And I say, I'm going to do what you say, Lord. Not because that's what I want to do, but because I believe that if your death will bring me eternal life, I believe that your life will bring me what? Abundant life. You believe that? You see... When, when we talk about the resurrected life of Jesus, we are talking about a death that brings eternal life and a risen life that brings abundant life. What are you living? Have you trusted for eternal life? Have you trusted to enter into abundant life? You see, it is... Abundant life is found in the continual dying to self. Versus Jesus, Jesus' death was once for all for eternal life. Abundant life is the continual dying to self. So this year, I was, I was really impacted by the reality that churches are just like jam-packed on Easter Sunday. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you're, you're noticing that. Even at 8 o'clock, lots more people were at 8 o'clock than, than, than normal. Well, why are churches packed on Easter Sunday? I think for a simple reason. Because at core, people want life. I, I really do. I think people... People want life. People are searching. It's in us. We want life. 
We want life as it seems like it's intended to live. And, and Easter represents for us, I think it's why we love Easter, because we want life. But here's the irony. For churches that are packed on Easter Sunday, about 25% of those people were present Good Friday. You know, when we gather together to remember the death of Jesus, because we go, hey, I'm down with celebrating life on a Sunday morning, but who wants to go out on Friday night and remember death? <laughs> and so I, I've been so struck this year, because I have to answer <laughs> this question, because people will go, are you serious? You really talked about this? You talked about death on Easter? And the more I meditated on the scripture and the more I sat in it with the Lord, the more convinced I became that what we desperately need to hear is that, yes, we're going to talk about death on Easter because what we want is life and we are looking to find it in all the places where we'll lose it. And the only place we'll find it is the last place we want to go, which is death. So simple kids can get it. <laughs> but adults run from it. Don't you? We just run from it. We run from Yielding ourselves and trusting in Jesus, we run from dying to self. And in the process, you know what we're running from? Life. So am I genuinely saying to you this morning, on Resurrection Sunday, that life is found in death unapologetically? To tell you anything short of that would be to miss what Jesus said, where you're going to find meaningful life. In the death of Jesus, once and all, for eternal life. In the continual dying, so that as reconciled to him, you might live abundantly. So, second question. Oh, sorry. Here, it, he just captures it. So, so simple, so plain. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears what? Much fruit. Isn't that so simple? See, see we, think, we think we got the life. We got to hold on to it. We got to protect it. But as long as you try to hold on to life, hold on to your life, you're going to end up losing it. Jesus says just, it's very simple agricultural understanding. You got to take that life and put it in the ground and cover it up. And if you will, then you'll get life abundant. Then you'll get the fruitful life. It's so clear, so simple but so scary for so many. So, second question, my bad. What's my life worth? 
really interesting the way Jesus approaches this. Because he says in verse 36 and 37, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Talking about worth, anybody in here own the whole world? (laughs) No, none of us do. Some of us are trying to get a little slice from the bank. What's a profit if you got the whole world, if you owned it all, but forfeited his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So when it comes to the worth of life, what I love about what Jesus does here is he identifies that it all depends on whether you think you have a soul. See, the worth of life is dependent on you think you have a soul or not. Because if you don't have a soul, if you're just a physical being, guess what? Then the value of your life can be measured by what you can accumulate. The bigger, the bigger piece of property, the more stuff that you can get, you can track your life and your worth on an Excel sheet if your life's just physical. But if it's not, if there's something beyond physical, a soul, an inner person that can't be seen and will never die, If you have a soul, then worth is measured completely differently, Jesus says. If you have a soul, then your life's value is infinite. For the simple reason that your soul is eternal. What's going to... Be the prophet of the guy who accumulates the whole world. And then what happens? It burns up. It disappears. And he gave up that which would live forever for that which is going to disappear. What are you going to exchange, Jesus says? What are you going to exchange temporarily for something that would last eternal? So the question is, do you believe you have a soul? Do you believe that when you die, you're done? Or do you actually believe that there's a part of you that will live forever? That's the core question in the value of life. You know the name Tom Brady? Most of you do. There's a, if you don't know, he's an NFL player. What many would consider the NFL goat. And that's not a derogatory term. That's the greatest of all time. Some of you are thinking, yeah, he is a cheater. But that's not what goat means. Tom Brady, 40 years old, Super Bowl, won multiple. 13 years ago, when he was 27, he had this interview uh, that I've never forgotten. He says, why do I have, this is when he's 27 years old, why do I have three Super Bowl rings, and he has more now, and still think there's something greater out there for me? Now just pause, I know you're reading my, why does he think that? That's his soul talking to him. He doesn't know it. He can't put it. But he's going, why do I think there's something out there greater for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think God, it's got to be more than this. True or false? 
Yeah, that's true. He just can't figure it out. He says, I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? Do you hear the soul talking? Now, you may go, well, I've never run a Super Bowl. But every single person has those moments, what we might call Tom Brady moments, where we kind of, maybe it's in the quietness, maybe it's sitting at the beach, maybe you're sitting at a stoplight, maybe you're in the busyness of a day and overwhelmed with a pile of work in front of you, and you just have that, is there not more to life than this? You know what's talking to you at that moment? Your soul something that goes, there's, there's got to be more than all this falling apart. So the interviewer says, what's the answer? And Brady says, I wish I knew. Wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football and I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with great people. I think I get more out of that than anything. So has he found his answer? No, I think he exchanged the hat of football for the glove of relationships. You know why I say that? Because all careers come to an end, and, and I hate to say this, but what else all comes to an end? Relationships. Yeah, it's stark reality. We have six kids. God bless us with six kids, and five of those six kids are in South Carolina on Easter Sunday. And I'm a little ticked about that. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's wrong with you people? Who leaves their family to uh, daughter, son? They, they all, they're all up there together, and Jackie and I are down here with our oldest, Clayton. I'm like, what's up with that? What are they doing? What we taught them to do, get out of here. That's what they're doing. Because <laughs> in reality, relationships end. And so I don't disagree with Tom. Hey, relationships are better than rings. but they're not going to address the soul because relationships aren't eternal. See, what Tom Brady's asking and what maybe you ask and sometimes I've got to tell you is your life is worth infinite amount when you recognize you have an eternal part of you. God has written eternity into your hearts. You were made for relationship with an eternal one. You were made to find eternal life and abundant life in Jesus. And you're not going to find it in rings or relationships or your career. So Jesus says, what's it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the answers are often many and ugly for what people have exchanged. But you don't realize until life ends and it's too late. So, what happens when life ends? Jesus says, Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
I don't know how what, what you think when you first read that. I remember first reading that, and I'm thinking, Jesus, you sound a little bitter there. You're ashamed of me? I'll be ashamed of you. You don't like me? I don't like you. That's not what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying when life ends, eternity, watch this, eternity is going to be a con- simply a continuation of what you've done with me. If you've trusted in me and my death for eternal life and trusted in me and my life for abundant life, then when you die and your tent falls down, then you'll just continue in ever-increasing, perfect, then, abundant and eternal life. But if you go through life looking to save your life and rejecting the death of Jesus and rejecting the resurrected life of Jesus, then continuation into eternity when you die will be what you've done with Jesus. It will be separation eternally from him. That's all Jesus is saying, is that my eternity will be a continuation of what I've done with Jesus in life. So what will you do with Jesus? When the gospel of John comes to a close, the writer says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. Everything we've been talking about this morning, you may have life where? In him, in his name, in who he is. That believing in Jesus is where we find life. But I want to show you something. I'm going to invite the band as the band comes on up. I want you to watch what I'm showing you here. That believing in Jesus for life is an admitting that you are under the penalty of death because of sin. Did you follow that? Don't be distracted by them coming up here. Understand that that life is found in believing in Jesus. But look, folks, there's no point in believing in Jesus unless you admit, I'm a prisoner to sin. If you don't believe that about yourself, then you don't need to believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus, it's an admitting, I am deserving of God's wrath. And if I believe in Jesus, I not only <laughs> admit I can only receive. I can, in other words, I can't earn life. I can only receive it as a gift. So many of us think, I gotta earn life. I gotta earn favor with God. I have to live. I gotta stop cussing. I gotta start. You know, I feel so bad. I'm, I, I gotta get to church more. Coming to church more will not gain you life. Stopping cussing will not gain you life. Being a better husband, being a better wife, that will not get you life. Only believing in Jesus will bring you life. Eternal by his death and abundant by his life. I want you, as the band sings, to consider the invitation to believe.
so if you are thirsty for forgiveness for the living water of Jesus, I want to invite you to, to bow with me right now. And, and in this moment, maybe for the first time or hundredth time, to simply say, Jesus, I admit that I'm under the penalty of death. I'm a prisoner. And I believe that you have taken the penalty for my sin, that I would be forgiven and made new. And I receive it with great gratitude as a gift. Thank you. Lord, we are hungry not only for forgiveness and abundant eternal life, but abundant life. So we trust in you as our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for your death and for your resurrection. That there is life in your name. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. Hey, if we can pray with you, just want to remind you that out in their courtyard, there is an opportunity for prayer. If you're visiting, we'd love to greet you. God bless. Have a happy Easter.